Wow, 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 wow. 8 o'clock, October 24th, 2015. About a week and a half ago, I get an email from a guy who says he's absolutely desperate, clinging to uh, every tiny little bit of hope he can get. He's just barely hanging on. He says, if I could please find it in my heart to talk to him, he would really appreciate it. And I sent him a long message. I actually looked up online, I looked up his name, and I saw a guy in Texas that had owned a karate gym type thing, and he had been accused of inappropriately touching a minor. And it showed him with his picture and everything. And I thought, I wonder if that could be the guy. I'm sure there's lots of, you know, this guy's name around. So I sent him a long recording. I prayed, made him a long recording. Today, I'm going through old emails. I realized I never heard back from him. So I decided to send him another email to check in on him. He replies back, Mike, I never got the recording. I have an old phone. I wasn't able to listen. He goes, if you could ever... Still find it in your heart to talk to me. I am clinging to hope. And I'm struggling with wanting to just kill myself. And everything has fallen apart. My ex-wife has gone hell-bent on me. Um, I got $3,000 a month in child support I'm going to have to pay. I don't have the money. I'm losing my business. Everything's falling apart. I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm on the news. I'm on the newspapers. Everything is, is just destroyed. So I immediately prayed. I said, God, do I have the gas in the tank tonight or should I call tomorrow? And I said, Father, I can do it in your strength. And I prayed. And <clears throat> incidentally, today I have made a printout of about a hundred of these contact forms where people contact me and what the various issues they're having are, where people are just crying out for help and encouragement. So I've, I've been printing them a bunch so I can learn from them and just kind of categorize what people are contacting me about. And I was thinking about how after all I've been through, I'm not afraid to help anybody with anything. There's nothing that seems intimidating to me because I've seen God do so much in, in my own life. So this guy's situation was so close to mine, it was not even funny. So I decided to call him up. And just to see, you know, what's going on with this guy? Is this guy a hard heart guy who's got himself in trouble and he just wants to get out of the trick bag he's in? Or is this a guy who really is in a wrong place at the wrong time and, and God is trying to break this man? So I ended up listening to this guy's story and it was, he came straight out of the heart. He was completely open and honest. Long story short is, he'd been in a marriage that they had everything he had grown up Christian, and he began to put his focus on money. And he began to study Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. He became a follower of everything Napoleon Hill ever had. And he began to chase money to the point where he literally became what he would call almost an atheist. He put Napoleon Hill so far ahead of Christ that he put the Bible and everything away in his life. And his goal was to make 30000 a month. And the money was coming in and his gym membership was exploding. And he had the, they had all the, you know, the, the fancy cars and the houses the house and all that stuff. And everything was going great. Six kids, three from a previous two of hers, and then three together. And 
everything was going really well, and then the marriage started to just go really sour for many years. It was just terrible, terrible, tumultuous relationship. And he had a young girl, 17 years old, that worked for him as an employee, and he had to pick her up every day. So he's picking her up, and they're riding together, and they're spending four to five hours a day together. Well, it's only a matter of time before they became too close. He began to have an emotional affair with the girl. They never had sex, but they began to caress and hug, and she would sit on his lap and all that kind of stuff. The the wife found out about it and began to hire a private detective to snoop on him, and he got caught. And then the ex-wife went to draw mega, mega blood. Even though he never crossed the sexual line, he knew he was guilty of violating the marriage vows that he was miserable in, but that he still violated his marriage vows and he made a gigantic mistake. He was very, very repentant of all of this and realized what a huge mistake. You know, why was I picking this girl up every day? Why was I spending this kind of time with her? Why was I doing this? And the devil's just reeling the guy in. Well, this gave somebody that sounds like just as vindictive as my ex-wife all the ammunition she needed to literally bury this guy and got him arrested by going to the young girl's house because the young girl liked him enough that she wasn't going to press charges of any kind. And she went, they went to... uh, the, 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 the wife, his ex-wife, found out about her, went to her, her and her family's house, got them all riled up, got the girl backed in a corner, got her to admit the, the relationship that they were kind of having, and then it just blew up. The next thing he knows, he shows up at his gym, he gets arrested, and it's been now nine months, and they're going back and forth on the line of him having to maybe be registered as a sex offender and it will completely ruin his life even though they didn't have any sex. The reason is is because they were affectionate before she had turned 17 years old. And in Texas, there was a law that says at 17 it's a consensual, but anything but less than 17 years old can be considered, you know, I guess very inappropriate, whatever they would call it. So this guy's got himself in a complete mess. So for nine months, he's been living with the shakes and not sleeping at night and and literally tormented and crying out to God and doesn't know where to go, what to do. He's just waiting and waiting and waiting for the ball to move forward and either for the ball to drop and him to have to register as a sex offender, which will ruin his life, or him to be able to move on with some sense of new normal. He's basically lost almost all of his business. 90% of it's gone. So all of this down the toilet. There was a man that had committed suicide in the same town he lives in in Texas. He did not realize until after the fact he has a dream one night. In the dream, he's sleeping. He has a gun. The guy who had committed suicide locally actually comes to him in his dream and says, Hey man, it's not so bad. And actually, you get a lot of peace. It just happens quick. It's not as bad as you think. And then all the pain and all that's over with. So now we got a situation where spiritual warfare, the devil is full on trying to get this guy to take his life. So after he tells me all of this, I then say, now let's bring God into the equation because he's the only thing that matters. All this other stuff is inconsequential ultimately.
So that's when he began to, to explain to me that he had been a Christian growing up, began to love and chase money, and totally backslid on God and, and just went almost atheist to the point. And this is when he told me how thankful he was that I had contacted him. And he told me that he feels like he knows me because he goes to sleep every single night listening to my video. Uh, the one that I made for Ipe. He knew Ipe's name. This brother of mine in, in India who was suffering so much. And I made this recording for Ipe about how to get through suffering. And he listens to it. This guy, Jesse, goes to sleep every night. He just kept saying it over and over. Mike, I go to sleep listening to that recording every single night. It's the only way I can get any comfort and peace. I I was just so touched by that. Uh, this is another first for me. I heard one time of a lady who stayed up all night long watching my story video to get some peace, but I never heard of anything like this. And uh, anyhow, it's at this point he just began to really thank me for taking the time to um, actually take his call. And he said, brother, I know you're busy. He said, but I could use you. And I said, man, I'm in your corner. I'll be there with you. I'll help you. I'll do whatever I can to encourage you. And he just... He wept the whole time I was talking. I mean, the whole time I was able to tell him a story about Austin in court. The young man who had, um, at 20 years old, got drunk, um, underage drinking, ran his car into a ditch up into somebody's yard and was facing, he did all kinds of damage and he was facing jail time. I mean, it was horrible. And then the guy came across my story and really just began to believe God could be merciful and a miracle and how Austin actually ended up having nothing short of a miracle happen to him in court where while he's sitting in court he says God if you could do it for Michael you can do it for me I deserve whatever I have coming to me but I trust you and I ask you for your mercy for me and his attorney walks over and says well you're not going to believe this but the state has agreed to drop all charges against you and when I told Jesse this he just let out this this huge audible sigh of, oh God, you could tell he was just, oh God, let it be for me. And so he realizes what a huge mistake he's made. And the guy is very, very humbled and very broken. I was so encouraged to hear that. And so I'm just going to do whatever I can now to help this guy and, and, uh, and watch God do his thing. Today is the 28th of October, 2015. It is 2.35. I'm in the woods memorizing. Been working hard all morning on the computer and decided to come out here and I just feel prompted to capture, again, another dramatic, dramatic difference in my heart uh, today in the face of very difficult and impoverished circumstances compared to how I would have responded you know, even just two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, and beyond. And uh, this morning, I thought, you know, I haven't looked at my bank account in a while. I wonder if I have enough money to go get a cup of coffee today. I haven't had it in a while. And uh, <laughs> I had 10 cents. I literally, I think that's the lowest my, check <laughs> my checking account balance has ever been. I'm officially the brokest I've, <laughs> I've ever ever been except for if it was ever in the negative before but I was like wow thank you God 10 cents left over 
and um, I had ten dollars in my savings account. Only five of it's available because you have to have a minimum of five. So I transferred five dollars. So I now have five dollars and ten cents in my checking account. And what is amazing to me about that? I mean, this is truly amazing. I've forgotten what it felt like to you know, be impacted by finances. I've, I've forgotten what it felt like to look at your checking account balance and panic. You know, I mean, I literally, God has trained me so long now to live in this poverty. Basically, I mean, there's, there's no, nothing else to call it. I live below the poverty line when you don't even have to pay federal taxes because you've not even made enough money to, to qualify to pay taxes. That's well below poverty. My parents, because of their support, makes it impossible for me to really feel, you know, impoverished. They're providing my basic food and my electricity and housing, you know, and the gas and my car. So they're taking care of my basic needs. I have no bills. Um, Actually, they take care of my cell phone, too. So that's the only bill I have besides, you know, maybe car insurance. So basically, they're taking care of every very fundamental basic need that I have by God's grace um, I don't have anything left over for, for wants, just my needs. And it's been that way for a while. And the good news is I don't really have any wants. And what's incredible to me is how there could ever come a day when I would be able to live like this and be happy and content, able to still focus and do my work on other things without going into a panic over it. And that just shows the maturity that God has worked in my heart. You know, no discipline seems um, pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on produces a harvestness, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. My goodness, my God is good. Can I not testify to that? You know, people might be inclined to think, wow, how could you ever live like this for so long? And you go, how could you not? Because it's just a total dependence on God. And what happens is it's like you're, you're, you're emptied. I mean, you can't get this at a store. You can't get it by reading a book. You can't get it from a sermon. Uh, you can't get it from one of your friends. Uh, this is only available through experience. You have to be willing to surrender to God and trust Him fully no matter what. And you know, it's true that most of God's, I'm not putting myself in this same category, although I'd like to be in this category. But it's true that when you study the most godly of saints that have ever lived, the majority of them have been absolutely impoverished. Now, not in their heart, but in their finances and in their circumstances. Many of them just barely got by. I mean, that is, I would say, 75% of them or more. But uh, it's just amazing to me. You know, I think I've not lost a minute. I just thought, gosh, that's funny. I can't believe it. I was just thinking about in my prayer, what prompted me to make this recording is, I've prayed. I said, okay, Lord, I have no money. I said, Lord, and you know, I don't really have any needs that aren't being met. You're meeting them. So I feel bad even asking for money. I said, but Father, I do still need child support. I pray for that all the time. And then, God, I would like to have money to get out of the house and go get some coffee. I haven't been out of the house to go do that. Really, maybe more than once or twice in the last two weeks. So I've been kind of cooped up a little bit. I'm okay. I'm content. You know, I've been cooped up a lot. Um... But I'm working hard and, and getting the things done that God's asking me to do. But what kind of a price can you put on being able to have peace when you have no money? None. 
I mean, if God is not faithful, I don't know. And that's how you know. This is one of the evidences of you know that God is with you and, and that he has strengthened you so that you will become, you know, perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James chapter 1, verse like 3 and 4. And, you know, it, that is just, it is so incredible. I'm so thankful. I'm not thankful for, you know, having 10 cents in my checking account, but I am so thankful for God's strengthening me and getting me to the point where I think to myself, wow, I've lived so long without money and without concern over what people think about me not having any money. I've gotten used to calling myself the poor missionary boy and being okay with not having money and being okay with letting people know my parents take care of everything you know, in my ministry to help me so that I can help other people. If they were not doing this, I could not help all these other people. I mean, I couldn't help them on to the, to the level that I have been able to. That's for certain. God has provided. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be given you. And I, I am a living proof of that God is meeting my every need. And you do not have to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. And you, you don't have to worry about those things at all. I mean, I have not worried about that stuff in forever. I still, my biggest financial need, two things pop up in my head. I want to be able to pay every penny that I owe in child support. Perhaps when God knows that I've lost every little ounce of dignity or that His purpose in me not being able to pay it this long has been fulfilled, that He will grant me that ability because I've prayed, Father, I only, not only do I desire to provide to take care of my children, but I also desire to provide for my enemy and to do good to her. And I've just not been in the position to do it. I've wanted to be able to be good to her and merciful to her in that way. And I've been frustrated that I haven't been able to. But me not being able to pay that support because I've been obedient to listen to the Father has really, really probably been the most difficult financial temptation to overcome and the greatest lesson in humility of all. Again, what man could be considered worse than a man who's not providing for his family? People could say, oh, that scripture in Timothy says that if a man doesn't provide for his you know, relatives, especially that of his immediate family, he's worse than a non-believer and he's denied the faith. But again, we must recognize, first of all, the context of that is widows that were in need of help that were being dumped on the church. And God was calling them, Paul, through God, God through Paul, was calling them to do your part. Take care of your family first. That's not the same principle that can be applied to a situation where a woman does what God's Word says not to do, and that is to separate from her husband. She must be willing to accept whatever consequences come, and I'm not sure that she was able to factor into her equation that you know, God would call me into the ministry and I would become impoverished. That her choice of leaving in the marriage rather than staying with me and, you know, going into deeper waters with God has put her in a situation where she's had to depend upon her parents and her parents have had to provide. And I thank God that He's used them to do that. I don't thank God for how they've treated me and I don't thank God for the unrighteousness that's in their heart and the darkness. I thank God for what it's done in me, but not for my kids. I wish it would have been under different circumstances. 
but be because of my inability to do so, and they don't understand the story of my obedience to God. They don't know that I really have heard from God like this, and I really have been asked to deny myself. And, and the thing I needed to lose bigger than anything was not just my finances. It was the, the pride and the foolishness and the self-sufficiency and the ability to make money. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that God has disciplined me so strong in the area of my greatest weakness, my desire to make money, and then my ability to do so. And God has disciplined me so, so much and taken it away from me and stripped me down to where I've not been able to even take care of myself. You know, and again, I tried to explain to a friend that my situation's not where, like, I couldn't find a job and the economy's just bad and, no, mine is, to me, worse because I have had to deny good jobs and I have had to deny income and I have had to deny gifts of finances. All God teaching me and testing me to see, like Deuteronomy 8, after he humbled me to test me and see, will I obey him? Some people would hear this and have a very difficult time understanding how God could ask you to not provide for your children. And they would need to know God has never asked me to not provide for my children. He simply put me in a position where when I obeyed him, it removed my ability for a season to provide for my children. It's the exact same thing that would have happened to a Peter. Historically speaking, the church has always maintained that Peter had a, a daughter. I think her name was Petrina Petrin. Petronova or some, it was some weird name that had her his name in it and so you can imagine he goes from being a man who's got a fishing boat business successful his father's dependent upon him for his income his wife you know and all that and his child and some people say that he had more than one daughter and we know Philip had four children so we know that the disciples had most of them had children that would have been normal for the times and they're now have no ability because they chose to follow God. They have no ability to take care of their children and provide even finances. We see Peter has not even enough money when he's with the Lord to pay his own taxes. I find great relief in that. That's why I've mentioned it multiple times because when I saw that, I thought, wow, okay, there's a precedent in Scripture where because you've obeyed God, it's removed your ability to financially provide for your family for a time, and that responsibility had to be shifted to somebody else. And that you were not. Some might be able to turn and say of Peter, Hey, if a man doesn't provide for his own family, especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You, you could turn around and say that exact same thing to Paul. I mean, not to Paul, but to Peter and to any of the disciples who had to pull up ship and then who we see, again, having to receive support from women. You know, the, the disciples' first account that they see we see them getting money from is from women who are helping support them out of their own needs. And uh, so I've, I've taken great comfort in that. Again, I have found hope in God's Word, not in what other people think, not in my own human understanding, not in what I would like to have happen, but what I see a precedent for in Scripture, knowing God called me and challenged me, will you obey me? This has been part of my putting Isaac up on the altar is is are you willing to put the financial obligation relief support and and pride that your children will even receive from you providing for them 
and your reputation in their eyes as a result? Are you willing to put all of that on the table for me? I realize that most Christians, including myself for 19 years, would hear something like this and say, man, that is just absolutely radical. I never heard of anything like that. That's a suffering I've never known, and I just don't understand it, and I don't see how God could ever ask you to do something like that. And that shows how far away we have slipped from real New Testament, New Covenant, biblical Christianity, because that is the absolute foundational basis of denying self that we see repeatedly in the New Testament, and then we read in the stories. For example, one of my favorite books, The Deeper Spiritual Experiences of Famous Christians. I mean, you can't read those books and see that those people did not make sacrifices that just do not make sense, or were harmed, or persecuted, or suffered in ways that you just go, how could this ever be normal for Christians? And yet, God used them in such unbelievable ways. And so, I just have this amazing peace. I mean, supposing I had 100000 in my checking account right now, and I was all caught up on my child support, and I'd never gotten behind, and everything's just hunky-dory, I can absolutely say without fear of contradiction that I would in no way be enjoying the fruits of the faith that I have in my heart today. I would not be able to help the people that I'm helping. I would be in fear, I would have anxiety, and I would be a victim of my circumstances just like everybody else is as soon as the plug was pulled on my security in that bank account or economic times got bad or whatever happened, I would have, no matter what, whether it had something to do with money or not, the plug could be pulled on my feelings and on my sense of happiness and my sense of safety and security could be pulled so quickly, whereas now it cannot. I have seen God for so long, years now, give me exactly what I need, never let me go hungry, Teach me, guide me, direct me, tell me and teach me how to deny myself. I mean, this has been extraordinary. I wouldn't want people to have to go through this necessarily. But at the same time, I say to myself, if this is the price you were having to pay to get what I now have, pay any price. Pay any price. And I just think about how unbelievable it is that I have been able to pay that price, again, only by God's grace. Because I've never had it in me to do this. I've always been a runner. I've always been somebody in the past, starting when I was in my teenage years, if things got bad, I ran somewhere else. So for me to be willing to stay put for so long is just extraordinary. It's an absolute, amazing, miraculous testimony of God's grace. And again, this recording cannot be proved that this is of God and that this is anything less than a mental illness or delusion on my part until God finally delivers me in my circumstances. Until God actually delivers, I'm nothing more than what they saw of Moses, a delusional lunatic who had brought them out of the safety, security, and the happiness of Egypt. To have them, quote, be buried in the desert. But when he put his staff, and when those waters parted, and when they crossed over on dry land, and when the enemy was seized upon the crashing waves behind them, they then knew that everything God and Moses said was true. 1029, 2015, it's 644 right now. 
I've woken up at 5.11 the last two days. It's interesting. Uh, God knows I am persevering, and that's the James 5.11 verse. And then I was just thinking about Laura as I was getting my Bible and stuff set up this morning. I was having a thought in my mind of sending her an email and just kind of reaching out to her again. And then I sat down in my chair and I said, nope, God acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And just then I looked at and and, uh, to start my Bible study at 644. So God is being so faithful to remind me and encourage me to just keep waiting. Trust him. It's going to be amazing when this happens one day. Truly amazing.